Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University. I'm Kara, and today I'm joined by Abe. Hi, Abe. Hello, this is Abe Goldberg. I am the Executive Director of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement here at James Madison University. Hello, Kara. Today we have a very special guest joining us. It's President John Alger of James Madison University. Thank you so much for joining us today, John. Thank you so much, Kara and Abe. It's great to be with you. For our listeners, we are actually recording in person, but we are doing it with proper social distancing guidelines. We are all six feet away, and I have taken pictures to show this (laughs) in our (laughs) podcast notes. (laughs) I'm going to pull over my microphone with my gloved hand and start the questions. Um, First of all, President Alger, um, with all that's been going on, both on campus and globally, thank you so much for being here with us. Happy to do it. President Alger, JMU started sending messages about the coronavirus to campus uh, as far back as January. Uh, the first focused on students who had traveled to Wuhan City right. in, in China, and about a month later came a message uh, suspending our study abroad programs mm-hmm. in Italy. Not more than a few weeks later, you sent a powerful written and video message indicating that all classes would stay online for the remainder of the semester. Residence halls would close except for those who, except for those people who didn't have another place to go, which, which I know applies to some of, some of the people here in our campus community and certainly campuses across the country, and that even spring commencement ceremonies would be postponed. Uh, That's a lot of change. That's significant change in a very short amount of time, relatively right. speaking. And I'm wondering if you can speak to us and our listeners about what life was like for you and for university presidents across the country, just about the pace in which these major changes had to be made, especially when you were dealing with what was really fluid information. Uh, thanks, Abe. And, and, and yes, it really was an unprecedented situation for all of us in leadership in higher education. And probably for leaders in all sorts of organizations. You know, we all have emergency preparedness plans, but not many of us had predicted uh, or forecast this kind of pandemic that would last for this length of time and that would have such profound effects on our operations. And it all happened really very quickly, as you, as you point out in that timeline. So, you know, for, from a leadership perspective, just the pace of decision-making was really uh, challenging. You had incomplete information. You're trying to glean as much as you can from media reports. But at the end of the day, you're having to make some very weighty decisions very quickly without a whole lot of information or or guidance from from anywhere. There was no playbook uh, for this. Um, It was really important to have a great team. One of the things you discover in this kind of situation is that everybody has a role to play. Everybody can contribute in their own ways. And so tapping into that expertise was, was really crucial. Uh, you know, there were a whole lot of questions that, that came up as we were starting to get deeper into this crisis. So when we thought about having to make this transition to go online. The first one was, can we possibly do that? What would it take? You know, what kind of information technology and personnel support do you need to make that happen? Um, 
What does it mean for all the different types of courses like experiential learning courses that we have at James Madison University that might be have labs or have community service learning incorporated or students working in teams on special projects or with special equipment? So there were many, many questions that needed to be answered very, very quickly. Um, also things like accreditation requirements that, that apply to the university as a whole and to many of our specialized programs across the university. When you make these wholesale changes, what do you have to do? Who do you have to inform? And then things like what are the mental health issues uh, that we have to, to take into account knowing that there's a tremendous amount of stress on our students and on our faculty in, in this situation. And then there were the communications challenges. You point out uh, some of the messaging that we've had to do, and it was really difficult to try to think through all of the different constituencies that we needed to be in touch with and what types of messages they needed to hear, what's the balance of sort of positive, uplifting messages versus the very sober messages that we needed to convey about the seriousness of, of the situation and what people needed to do. Um, and then how to make those messages personal and transparent and clear to be human at, at this time of, of so much uncertainty. Um, and finally, I would say, you know, for leadership, it was also keeping up with state and national contacts um, to share information and ideas and best practices. I've had weekly conference calls uh, with the Virginia Council of Presidents representing all the public colleges and universities across the state, as well as with the American Council on Education Board, which is a national organ organization representing all of us in higher education. And again, the idea is just sharing ideas, best practices, what are people dealing with, what solutions are they coming up with? So it's all hands on deck, everybody trying to help everybody else out in very difficult times. You also have a daughter that is currently a college student. Um, she was in Ohio, she's returned to Harrisonburg um, as all students uh, that, that can do so have been asked to right. return to um, their their parents' home or their guardian's home or, or, or elsewhere if they can. Um, what was it like being a concerned father during what has amounted to a public health emergency with your daughter being away before? Um, and how, how does that influence your, your thought process and external communications when thinking about ways JMU responds to major events like a, uh, like a global pandemic in this case? Um, yes, so as you point out, my daughter Eleanor uh, is actually a theater major at Miami University of Ohio, which is a seven and a half hour drive from Harrisonburg. So first and foremost, of course, we were very concerned about her health and, and welfare, and we weren't exactly certain how we were going to get her home. Uh, luckily, we were able to do so, and she's already started taking her classes online. Um, she, as a theater major, there are some special challenges, by the way, as you might imagine, uh, in a field like that. The program relies very heavily on face-to-face -face interaction and teamwork and, and interacting closely with other people. Um, for example, she's taking a stage makeup class right now, and so her assignments have quickly transitioned to her doing her makeup on herself and taking pictures to send uh, to her, her professor. But you know, having her at home and hearing firsthand about her her struggles and her challenges and her emotions and all of this really have, have given me a special empathy, I think, with, with other uh, parents as, as well as with, with students. I, I can see firsthand what these challenges look like because my own daughter had to come home very quickly, 
wasn't able to bring everything home with her that she wanted to have uh, at her fingertips. Our dining room table is now her her classroom, and we're trying to you know provide as much normalcy as possible for her to continue to be uh, a student. But I can see firsthand just how difficult that is. Um, and even if you've got great internet connections and very well-meaning uh, faculty and good IT support, there's a huge psychological uh, toll and challenge involved in this for everybody, including certainly our our students. And so it, I think it's, it's, it's really helped me to, to see that firsthand. It's also, though, been a reminder of how adaptable and innovative people can be. I've seen them already incorporate group chats and finding other ways for, for students to connect with each other and with their faculty, both during and after uh, and between classes to try to you know, to try to make the most of the situation, to try to figure out new and interesting ways that they can study together and, and learn together. So it's been a reminder, too, of, of, of how resilient and adaptable all of us can be when we have to. It's interesting because I feel like since we've been uh, staying at home and, and um, social distancing ourselves, in a lot of ways, I've communicated with more family members and friends, right? I think about the college experience being about one's relationships with their professors and, and, and the work that they're doing and assignments. But obviously, there's a deep social and even emotional connection that many people have with their universities. And it's it, it seems to be kind of translating the way that families operate and friendship networks operate as well. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's that's been a reminder of the importance of the personal and human touch in higher education, one of the things that I have tried to do is to reach out to some students and faculty uh, whom I know personally and have not been able to see face to face for a while. Um, and that, that personal touch is so incredibly important. We're also doing it, by the way, with perspective students. Since we can't bring them to campus right now, we are trying to bring the campus to them. And uh, my wife and I have helped out writing postcards to prospective students. We're going to be making phone calls to prospective students in the days ahead. So we're trying to do everything we can to continue to provide that personal touch, even if it's done remotely. So with the rapid spread of COVID-19 is, is really giving JMU and universities across the country an opportunity to support uh, community public health efforts. Uh, for example, we saw that uh, our College of Science and Math donated unused supplies uh, to medical facilities across Harrisonburg. Uh, President Alger, can you speak to other ways in which JMU is helping Harrisonburg and the surrounding Rockingham region? Absolutely. I think this is one of the areas where when we think about what it means to be the engaged university, uh, this is where the rubber hits the road. And when we think about community engagement, this is a time, uh, even when we are in crisis along with the community around us, when we can really step up and think about the resources that we have and how they can be of use to the community. So you, you mentioned, for example, you know, unused medical supplies, which uh, several of our colleges, including the College of Health and Behavioral Studies as well, uh, have donated to local hospitals and, and medical service providers. We've also had programs like the Institute for Innovation in Health and Human Services that continue uh, to provide support to different local nonprofits, particularly those that are involved in healthcare uh, delivery and in 
area that is more rural, right? That's one of the, the challenges of where we are to make sure that people can get the health care uh, that they need. We've had students that continue to serve as volunteers in the Harrisonburg Rescue Squad, which is a very important uh, role, especially right now. Uh, the university is a designated emergency shelter, uh, so we've been in touch with folks at the state level about if and when we might have to uh, provide that kind of resource, what that would look like, how we connect uh, with RMH Centera, our local uh, hospital, uh, to provide possibly you know, room for extra beds and that sort of thing. We have classes where students and their professors have pivoted very quickly to try to focus on innovative solutions to some of the current challenges we see. So for example, looking for ways to try to develop personal protective equipment, PPEs, if you will, uh, how they could use 3D printing or, or other uh, resources that we might have uh, to very quickly take their ingenuity and know-how to do something that is useful in the immediate crisis. We've been supporting local schools and teachers because of course they're facing this as well as best we can with our expertise in online education and resources there. Um, something that just happened over the past few days, uh, Open Doors is a local uh, organization uh, where many churches and other nonprofits have worked together to provide shelter for the local home homeless population. Uh, and they need now to of course worry about social distancing uh, for that population. So JMU worked very quickly with the city to open its doors. Uh, one of our buildings, Godwin Hall, uh, is now hosting uh, open doors. And so that's yet another way that people might not think of that the university can be hopefully a, a valued citizen and, and partner in these times. And then just encouraging uh, folks to support their local small businesses however they can. I know many of us are are trying to get takeout from some of the restaurants that are still able to do that because we care very deeply about the people in our community and of course their jobs are, are at stake too. So uh, we're continuing to try to be in close touch with our, our partners around us to figure out what we can do during these difficult times. Is it too early for you, President Alger, to project how this global pandemic will impact higher education broadly moving forward. I'm curious, what are some questions that university presidents wish they had answers to right now? And how do we prepare for the next academic year with so much uncertainty? Yeah, boy, those are good and, and very hard questions, Abe. Uh, certainly there are some things that we, we know are going to be big, big uh, challenges in the months ahead, starting with concerns about finances and budgets. Many institutions across the country are really worried about their, their financial viability going forward, especially given enrollment challenges that many of us were already facing in higher education. So I think we're likely to see closures and, and mergers in American higher education, especially perhaps among some smaller and less well-resourced institutions. I certainly don't expect that for James Madison University, but certainly our budget uh, has taken a heavy hit, as have all college and university budgets across the country. Uh, I think many of us are trying to think about what this means in terms of online programs and accelerating the use of technology, uh, perhaps you know, for programs or individual courses. Um, are there different types of innovations we should be thinking about, especially if this sort of thing might recur uh, in the future? 
I think many of us are, are hearing right now that a lot of uh, high school students are thinking about putting off going to college or maybe opt opting to go to less expensive or more local options. And so that's something that we're paying very careful attention to. What are students and their families saying? Uh, at the same time, uh, our current students are facing a very different landscape when it comes to the job market. And so one of our immediate concerns for this coming year is what is that job market going to look like for the students that are graduating, certainly this year uh, and also next year? And, and how can we help them as they face a very, very different environment now? Now, there are some areas where there may be increased demand, uh, healthcare. Uh, for example, and, and information technology. So we, we've seen some very significant needs for our society, but there are certainly many, many industries that have been, been hurt uh, by what's happening. So big unanswered questions about you know, finances with budgets, with endowments that have taken a heavy hit because of the market uh, losses, um, all the lost revenue from refunds for room and board and parking and canceled events. Uh, our Forbes Center for the Performing Arts, for example, had to cancel the rest of its season. Um, those enrollment questions, there's a, an, another big set of challenges we're about, about to face because we're in, in prime season right now for students trying to decide where they're going to go to college. Uh, there are just a lot of uncertainties about the decisions they're going to make and how quickly they're going to be able to make those, those choices. Um, and then finally, thinking about how you prepare uh, for next year, right? We, we hope and expect that we'll open on time after all that we've been through, but we have to look at all the contingencies uh, in this brave new world and at least have to ask ourselves the question, what if we had to go online again for some part of, of the next academic year, what would that look like? The, the one other thing I would mention is, I mentioned we have emergency preparedness plans. That's something that we're required to have. Every institution has something like that. But I think uh, using it in real time, uh, there have been a lot of lessons learned. And so certainly all of our organizations are gonna need to take a look at those emergency plans and think, okay, what did we do well? What didn't go so well? What can we learn uh, from this experience? So that's something else we're going to be working on in the months to come. It's interesting because if you had told me four months ago, three months ago, that we would be sitting in a room like this, six feet apart, wearing gloves, having a conversation, and I had been told that the university would have shifted online and that students were going to be moving out of residence halls, I mean, President Alger, that, that March Madness, the college basketball tournament, wouldn't be happening. I, I would have said that's unthinkable. Something like that will never happen here. Feels like a bad movie, doesn't it? Yes. It does. It does. And that was three months ago we had those thoughts. Right. And so when I think about a fall semester, you know, I, I guess for me and, and for Shirley, our listeners, it's, it's very comforting to hear that we're thinking through all of these uh, different types of scenarios through acquired emergency planning and being able to kind of learn about those processes and 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 really what was unthinkable is now quite thinkable. Yep, absolutely. No, that's part of the responsibility of, of leadership is to try to do that kind of contingency planning and uh, you know even as you're making these day to day decisions to keep operating, you've got to look ahead uh, at you know what are the different scenarios that we might be facing. And that leads us right into our next question. Um, so you, President Elder, you teach courses here um, at JMU on leadership uh, in the Honors College. Um, 
What leadership skills and, and lessons from history have you drawn upon during this time? And what kinds of skills should we look for in leaders during crises such as this one? That's a, a, a great question. And you know, I have to say, since I do teach leadership, uh, this is certainly an experience that I will reflect back upon uh, in the months and years to come and think about, okay, what did we do well? What didn't work so well? Uh, and, and, and really think about um, how I could be even better prepared uh, the next time, although I certainly hope there isn't a next time for something uh, of this magnitude. Uh, you know, one of the first things that comes to mind, uh, many years ago, I had a pastor who talked about the importance of being a non-anxious presence as a leader. Uh, and what he meant by that uh, is that somebody has got to be uh, calm enough to be able to keep things going, not to panic, uh, but to say, you know what, we have got to make decisions based on facts and evidence, bring our best minds together, hear the good ideas, you know, to, to, to not just fly off the handle, but to recognize that we can get through this together. Uh, interestingly enough, that pastor is now the president of another uh, higher education institution, and I've been in touch with him this past week and reminded him of that advice that he'd given me many years ago, and, and he agreed that it was good to get that reminder right now as he's facing all of the same questions uh, that we are. Uh, but then there are a number of other leadership lessons, I think, uh, to keep in mind here. One uh, has to do with communications and the importance of being a good communicator. Uh, it's not about you know giving a great speech necessarily, but it's about being honest and straightforward, uh, providing facts and information to people as clearly as you can, and acknowledging the uncertainties and questions that we can't answer yet. So for example, we haven't yet decided what to do about commencement. We know we want to have one, and we know uh, that we want to do something in person, but it's very difficult to schedule right now with all of the uncertainty. So that kind of clarity in communications about what you know and don't know, I think, is, is important. Delegation is another leadership skill that is really tested at a time like this. I mentioned having a really good team, and I have felt more than ever uh, how important that is. I've seen people step up, for example, in the libraries and information technology. Uh, they've got special expertise that we really need uh, right now. Uh, the housekeepers across the university have put you know, their minds together to think about how to keep us all safe and keep the buildings uh, as clean as, as possible. The faculty, of course, putting all of these classes online in short order and sharing good ideas with one another. Student affairs professionals trying to figure out how to support students as they go through this experience, including with their, their mental health. So you know, that, that kind of delegation, that kind of teamwork is really critical. And as a leader, you have got to be able to trust uh, that your colleagues are going to step up and, and do their jobs because you can't do it all uh, yourself. I'd also mention some uh, leadership lessons that I think are really important uh, at a time like this, like resilience. Mm -hmm. There are going to be tough days and tough moments, uh, and you've got to be able to recover from them and continue uh, to move forward. Patience uh, with your colleagues and with one, with one another. Everybody is under stress right now, so patience grace, forgiveness, uh, I think that's important for us to recognize that every single person right now is facing personal as well as professional challenges. We've got to recognize that uh, common humanity in each other. Uh, and as leaders, I think, uh, you know, give people the space uh, to be human. And having a, even a, a sense of humor uh, is, is important at a time like this. That may seem like a strange thing to say, but uh, I think it's important, again, for us to still be human beings. We had a conference call 
uh, not too long ago. Uh, it was a statewide call with hundreds of people on it. Uh, and many of us uh, were, were listening in and it was the first half hour was just one ding after another announcing the next person on the call. They hadn't figured out how to make the system work to avoid that. So literally the first half hour of the call was, you know, Abe Goldberg is now on the call. Kara Whaley has now joined the call. And after a while, we just started giggling. Uh, and, you know, you felt bad. It was a serious moment. And yet you realized, you know, this is sort of a ridiculous moment, but this is the kind of challenge uh, that we're dealing with. Uh, last couple things I'd say is you've got to be open as a leader to good ideas from anyone and anywhere. Uh, one of the things I've really learned in this is I've learned a lot from other people on our own campus and from other campuses. And so being open to continue learning as a leader is, is really important. We've got to model that idea of lifelong learning and adaptability. And some things uh, might have seemed like they were going to work and they didn't. So you've got to continue to experiment and try something else and learn from other people. Uh, and lastly, I would say as a leader in a crisis situation like this, there's a balance of short-term and longer-term thinking. So I have felt it was important, even as we were making short-term immediate decisions that had to be made, to also have an eye toward the future about how do we recover from this? How do we start to think about next semester and next year and beyond? What does it mean for our strategic planning as a university? You hear people talk about don't ever waste a crisis. And I think what that means in leadership is to always have an eye toward, okay, what can we do better in the future and what opportunities might be created here that would not have existed otherwise. You have a background as well in constitutional law and a deep commitment to civic learning and democratic engagement. What do you see as challenges for democratic accountability, self-rule and governance, both during this crisis and beyond? Well, Abe and Kara, I don't need to tell the two of you just how important a test this is, this is of our democracy. It really is, I think, um, a critical, critical moment in our, in our history as a country and right now, frankly, in the history uh, of the world and of democracies around the world. You know, for us in the United States, I think the, the immediate question is, can we rise above that fierce partisanship that we see at every turn to develop big and bold solutions to unprecedented challenges? Because we know that COVID-19 affects everybody, Democrats and Republicans, rich and poor, all races and ethnicities. You know, we, we've seen members of Congress. We've seen people like Boris Johnson in the UK and Prince Charles and so many others uh, that have been affected uh, by this, this virus. It's the great equalizer in some sense, something that it, it truly is a common enemy uh, for all of us. You know, the, the relief bills that have been passed in Congress so far certainly give me some hope to see people come together in such short order. We know the legislation's not perfect. We know there are a lot of things they're going to have to fix, but it seemed to me to be hopeful uh, that our leaders could come together in this extraordinary moment to recognize that things needed to be done and needed to be done quickly and, and boldly. Uh, I think also though for democracy, we've seen the importance of the different levels of government working together uh, and how important that is and how much improvement uh, needs to be made on, on that front. We, we've seen states that are competing for scarce resources like ventilators and PPEs and, and that I think is a significant 
concern for us going forward. Yes, we have this federal system, but in a crisis, you've got to be able to have those different levels of government um, work together. Um, balancing concerns with public health on the one hand and economic sustainability on the other is a, a huge question for a democratic society and a real test of our values too. So I think that set of questions is something we need to be talking about during this crisis, but also after we get through this crisis and we reflect back on the lessons learned. Uh, we certainly ought to be talking about what are the lessons for the future if there is another pandemic after this one. Uh, you know, what does this mean for our system of public health? Uh, certainly I think we've learned that there are a lot of shortcomings in our system uh, that, that need attention. And finally, when you think about uh, the test for democracy here, we know the world is watching. Uh, this 24-7 news cycle, everybody is aware of what's happening around the world and certainly here in the United States. We're, we know we're going to be compared with other countries and how they've responded uh, to a country like China uh, and you know how successful were they in, in stopping the pandemic in their own country. And people are going to look and judge uh, our society at this time of crisis. So I think there are some serious questions that we need to face up to as a democracy and as a society. You know, I'd like to think we are up to that challenge, but certainly I think we've seen uh, that there's a lot of room for improvement, too. At JMU, we believe elections can be a front door to more meaningful participation in civic life. What can college presidents do to ensure full participation at their campuses in elections, especially this year, as we'll see challenges and uncertain uncertainties arising from the pandemic in addition to the toxic and hyperpartisan politics that you've already referred to surrounding the elections right. this year? Well, voting and participation has never been more important, first of all, and that's a message uh, that the university has got to, to convey to, to raise awareness among students and faculty and staff about why their voices matter so much at this critical time. Um, you know, there are lots of good resources available to us. And of course, uh, you at the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement provide great leadership on this campus, uh, participating in things like the All In Democracy Challenge, um, which is a national effort to try to raise uh, voter registration and engagement and participation by students. That's the kind of thing I want to make sure that we continue uh, to do. Uh, that means doing everything we can to get students, to, first of all, to register to vote right? Um, using the leadership of, of the center, certainly thinking about tying those efforts to class registration and other communications that reach all of our students, making it as easy as possible uh, for them to be registered. But then, as, as you've certainly talked about at the center, how do we educate students about the important public policy issues of our time and how their voice can make a difference. And I know you've done that in uh, very impromptu ways, like tent talks with more formal engagements, bringing in outside speakers. But you know, this year and certainly this fall as we approach national elections, it's gonna be really critical to get our students to think about not just their rights, but their responsibilities to have their voices be heard. You know, these types of, of issues, whether it's pandemics, whether it's uh, the impact of climate change, are, are gonna be around long after many of us have retired from leadership. They are gonna be inheriting this set of problems in many ways, so we really need their voice in our national conversations. And hopefully it will help them to develop that sense of agency to get actively involved as, as citizens in voting and in participating in democratic processes. And as a university, I think that is an absolutely fundamental part of our mission. 
you and Kara both serve on the Virginia Complete Count Commission, which is supporting participation in the 2020 census. Right. Um, I, I actually did mine with my kids this morning, and it was a wonderful lesson on... Did you make a video for our social media? I will go back and make the video for social media, <laughs> even though we assignment. are submitted. And, and No, but it was this great lesson on, you know, my kids are nine and seven. It was a reading lesson and a civics lesson, great. a sociology lesson, a history lesson, all in one. Uh, because this is the time when we're getting our, exactly. our invitations to participate in the census. Many people that we talk to don't realize that college students should actually be counted at their college addresses, not the homes in which their parents live. Why, why is an accurate count in the 2020 census important for colleges and universities and for the communities in which they are situated? Yes, this is a, a, a great question because, as, as you both know, uh, the census has to happen under the Constitution every 10 years. So 2020 is the time that this has to take place, and yet it faces some truly unprecedented challenges this year. Uh, the, the outbreak in particular coincided with the major ramp-up uh, for census activities, and so it's, it's really been an interesting and challenging confluence of, of events. Um, on the one hand, uh, it's, it's certainly a good thing that this year the census is trying to focus on online responses for the first time. Did you guys respond online, by the way, Abe, I assume? We did. Great. <laughs> uh, but, you know, having said that, we're also learning every day about equity issues in terms of Internet access and broadband and, uh, you know, what types of families are more likely to respond uh, in that kind of an environment. Uh, there have also been a lot of concerns about how the data is going to be kept secure, how it's going to be used by the government. Uh, we all know that there was um, a lot of controversy about questions related to citizenship, for example, and how that might be used. Um, I think while a lot of that the Census Bureau has really tried to reassure people that, yes, we, we certainly uh, care very deeply about keeping the data secure and only using it for the intended purposes, uh, you know, that's, that's a message that has to be repeated often uh, in this kind of environment. Uh, you know, why it's important, though, especially, especially when you think about this pandemic, is, you know, communities need accurate counts to have access for federal money for all sorts of things that are going to help us to recover from the pandemic, the health systems, the schools, the infrastructure around us. This count is really going to be crucial for all of those things for communities, and especially college towns. Uh, and we are in this, this very interesting time when many students, uh, even students that live off campus, have perhaps temporarily gone home. But to educate them about the fact, as you said, that look, if ordinarily this would be your place of residence here in Harrisonburg, that's where you should be counted. Uh, that may be a counterintuitive message to some people right now, but it really is critical to those college towns to get an accurate count that includes college students, because at the end of the day, that's who our communities have to, to serve. And we don't want to forget that businesses rely very heavily on, on census data when they think about where to locate new manufacturing sites, new stores, new restaurants. Uh, that is going to matter in the months and years ahead. There's been a lot of business disruption, but certainly this census data is going to be used by a lot of businesses going forward. So there are many reasons uh, that this information is vitally important to our communities and our society, and we've got to do everything we can 
to get an accurate count. And I do want to give a shout out uh, to Kara, who's provided just great leadership uh, locally across the state and indeed working with our partners at the national level with the Census Bureau as well. So thank you, Kara, for your great work. Yeah, we've got great resources on our website of jmu.edu slash civic for 2020 census resources and a wonderful partnership with the Students Learn Students Vote Coalition who've been supporting campuses across the country as they're confronting these questions on the census. John, March of 2020 has been a long year. <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> it's a good way to put it. What do you think you're going to remember most about your life during March of 2020? And what message do you have for our faculty, our staff, our students, and especially our graduating seniors? Boy, it has been quite a long year this month, as you point out, Abe. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to think after getting through just the day-to-day crisis challenges and decision-making that looking back on it, uh, that I and others will look at this as a time when we all came together very quickly in a very focused way to fight this common enemy that just transcends all kinds of human boundaries. You know, we're very good at putting up walls and barriers among people, and this virus, I think, has shown us uh, that at the end of the day, those walls and barriers cannot keep out every problem and every challenge that we face and that we really need to, to work together and we need each other to do that. Um, I, I think we'll remember this as a time when we really thought about not just ourselves, but about our role in society and our responsibilities to each other and to our communities because literally this is a time when everybody's actions when it comes to social distancing, when it comes to personal hygiene, are having an impact on the people around them, including the people that they care about the most. So that sense of community responsibility is something that I really hope will continue long after this, this crisis has passed. And so you know, what I'm hoping is that we look back and we see it as a turning point uh, for that, that sense of community responsibility, that sense of the common good and our, our role in it. Uh, and when you think about messages to those constituencies you mentioned and, and certainly to our graduating seniors, first thing I would say is I hope we're learning that we can overcome and deal with some really big issues and challenges by working together and valuing each other and supporting each other even when we have to do that remotely uh, and, and look to find, wise, find ways to express our common humanity. Uh, you know, we mentioned earlier the importance of, of being able to share those those moments of, of humor or just of, of you know, the, the things that happen in, in life that you can't, can't predict. Um, but to be there for one another, I think, is so important to take those moments to be fully present with other people in whatever way you can do that. Uh, and finally, to the graduating seniors, I'd say, look, you all have lived through a truly unprecedented crisis. You're certainly never going to forget your senior year, but learn. I hope, from the successes and failures that, that you've seen from all of us and use that education that you've gotten to make a difference in the world. Think about what you can do with your education and your gifts, your skills and your talents to make a positive difference no matter what field you choose to go into it and help us, all of us in society to focus on the big picture issues of our time, not just short-term partisan politics. So we have one final question for you, and we ask this of all of our guests on Democracy Matters. 
what would you do to strengthen democracy? Well, that's a nice, simple question to end on, Kara. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, uh, and I, it's certainly something I've been thinking about as we go through this crisis. I think the first thing I'd say is that, to me, apathy is the real enemy of democracy. Uh, and this is a time when we absolutely cannot afford to be apathetic. So I would say, first of all, to strengthen democracy, I'd want to see more active involvement and engagement, especially from our young people and our, our students. I totally understand why they might look at the world and see people shouting and yelling at each other night after night on TV and, and just want to tune it out. But we need their voices and we need their perspectives more than ever, and they have a lot that they can teach us. Um, when I think about strengthening democracy uh, right now, I look at things like campaign financing and spending uh, and how much we need all voices to be heard. So uh, that's something that I hope we can continue to think about. Uh, certainly here in the United States, we don't want elections to be bought or uh, high office to be available only to billionaires, uh, for example. Uh, the importance of having every vote count. I think we ought to be looking very seriously at things like gerrymandering across the United States, where we have districts where people have different perspectives, but many people feel that their votes simply don't count and that their voices uh, aren't going to be heard. So I hope that there'll be a renewed emphasis on, on looking at competitive districts across the country. And, and finally, and this may be a radical notion, but I have certainly felt for a while that our two-party system needs a fresh look. Uh, this idea that loyalty to party is the driving force behind all decision-making, certainly the coronavirus has taught us otherwise, uh, right? If there's anything that brought everybody together, Democrats and Republicans alike, it was any of you are susceptible uh, to this disease and all of us have a responsibility to protect one another. So I think finding new ways to get other voices into the mix, to not just have a polarized system uh, of hyper-partisanship is gonna be extremely important. You know, James Madison talked about the fact that, of course, you're gonna have factions in a diverse society, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's a reflection of human nature and people with different backgrounds and interests, and, and you know we should expect that. But the question is, when there are truly big challenges that, that sort of supersede any single moment and that are bigger than any one of us, how do we come together, find that common ground? What are the processes that we can use to do that, to compromise, to move forward, uh, to learn from difficult situations? That's, I hope, a set of lessons that can be learned from this current crisis and that would really strengthen our democracy going forward. We've got big challenges like infrastructure and climate change and hunger and income inequality that we really need to be tackling and thinking about. And we can only do that if everybody is part of that process. That's the president we get to work with. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, President Alger, and for taking the time. We know you are amidst a lot of pressure and, and handling the situation, and we just appreciate your leadership and, and taking the time out today. Well, and thank you, Kara and Abe, for the tremendous leadership that you provided the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement on this campus, and I would dare say nationally as well. We really appreciate your leadership, especially at this critical time. Thank you. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by the talented and tenacious Leah Jackson, a senior in the School of Media Arts and Design at James Madison University. 
Our digital guru, Randy Budnickus, Director of Digital Marketing at JMU, does the syndication for us. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic, and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about the Madison Center online at jmu.edu slash civic. Until next time. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.